0: morning, and happy last Wednesday of September, and happy first Wednesday of fall to everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to help you Empower you, our listeners, to know, and being, and doing, and impacting the world around you. And as always, there are many ways you can join us, several ways you can join us on this illuminating journey. A primary way, if you'd like to get your thoughts, insights, commentary, dialogue on air, the number to call is 347-237-5230, and that can get you in. on the line, of course, the chat room is open also. You can get in on there. Um, we invite you to visit our website, well, our Facebook site at uh, Zero Network on Facebook. You can go there and hear all kinds of things, see all kinds of things, catch up on archive shows. Also, visit our, us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at Zero Radio is the Twitter handle. Send me an email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com, and um, visit my website, LorenzoTNeal dot com, for any updates we may have on there. Uh, but again, we're glad to be here today. Uh, you guys, to f- please excuse me I'm suffering from sinus congestion, or I hope it's not anything more. But we're going to try to do our best. Uh, in the condition we're in, amen um, So it's a great day, it's fall season, football season People are excited, I'm excited And we've got a lot of things we want to talk about today As, as best we can, as our health allows us to do so Um topic we're asking this morning is um, It's about the church and accountability um, uh, What does Church accountability to the community look like what does it look like and why Should we be demanding are we too is it too late to be demanding it or is it already just? Happening and we're not seeing enough of it. That's what we're going to be talking about the church accountability to the community And so you would love to hear your insights on that Uh, But before we go any further into the program. Let's go to the Lord in prayer God of grace and God of mercy and God of glory, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to share in this broadcast. We ask that you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bless us indeed as we go out and let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in our sight, your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and redeemer. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off the show um, as many of you probably know, um Fox uh network has has, has taken the initiative and taken leadership I think in in this area. Uh by having two shows that are spiritually oriented. Uh or at least they got preachers on it. The first one of course is the show The Preachers that features um four preachers um <clears throat> excuse me. And is a daytime talk show format, similar to that of their other talk show format, The Real. It's pretty much similar. It's just that it's Preachers. And then you have uh, now T.D. Jakes, uh, the T.D. Jakes show that's been airing. And um, I caught a glimpse of it a couple of days ago. Uh, it's okay. Um, and, and, and you know, I want to commend them for taking that initiative and leadership in and uh producing these shows that um that are um i i don't want to use the word showcasing but uh uh putting forth new breath and fresh fresh breath uh uh from a spiritual perspective with these and of course you know there are a lot of people who are saying these guys are, are sellouts because they're doing secular television it is what it is depends on how you see it you know i um of course, they're not using the title reverend. Bishop is not using his title. Bishop is just T.D. Jakes, and it's the preachers. But the, the advice, and, and it's basically, you know, uh, run-of-the-mill advice shows, talk shows. And, and from that perspective, I can see, you know, why they say it's a sellout. But, hey, they're getting it done, and and I'm praying, and I'm sure some people are coming to see salvation. Uh, by way of it now if they don't I that ain't on me <laughs> But it's just amazing and so he celebrated that launch of his show uh, recently and In conjunction with that on this past Sunday, he celebrated 40 years of of Ministry in uh, I guess his pastoral ministry It's just wonderful. So we just want to say congratulations to uh, Jake's for what he's doing And the great expanse Of his ministry I suppose you could say that Um, I don't know if he categorizes it That I'm quite sure That the producers don't Categorize it as that but Congratulations to him on 40 years Um, It's a long time You know anyway So I came across some uh, um, Stories as always that just kind of Make you go hmm, and um, this is this is a video, and I saw this on several sites across the internet, uh, but particularly um, the old black church. <coughs> Excuse me, and site, the old black church, um, posted the video of a pastor in Ghana. Uh, I believe it's in Ghana, where the parishioners is. is Members, he's sitting in what looks like to be a throne, you know, a good, nice chair, dressed in nice black and white. <laughs> and while he's sitting there, his parishioners are coming and kissing his feet. And, you know, he's putting his hand on their head. And for those who didn't appear to kiss his feet, they're just bowing. He just presses them on down and kiss. And I watched them like, oh, my God, this is. This is ridiculous, but, you know, this is where Christianity... While Christianity is the fastest-growing religion in Africa, <clears throat> and it's it's becoming combatant with in some areas where um, Islamist uh, extremism is, is becoming predominant, uh, you're seeing it, it thrive in these countries. And it's more likely is is um a Pentecostal version or charismatic version of Christianity. And these pastors are taking advantage of people and they're teaching some of the strangest doctrines and um when called in correction, uh most don't deviate from it. Some even go harder. Um and when we see things like this, you just have to wonder why people are are doing what they're doing and why do people allow themselves to be desecrated in such a manner by supposedly people of God? Either way, it's it's something that you may want to, uh, if you see pe- preachers doing strange things, and it's becoming common now, um, pastors are getting even grander in their um, exploits of people, and they're just letting people just letting it slide by. You need to call a person of accountability. I know it's hard to do, but um, we're talking about accountability today anyway, so might as well stick stick with it. But anyway <laughs> it is what it is. I'm trying, guys. I might not make it through this whole broadcast, but we're gonna try to do as much as we can, um, uh, with what we have today. Um I lost my train of thought just that quickly. Oh, uh, yeah, the debates. And I'm sure many of you watched the uh, presidential debate on Monday evening. Um, I caught some of it. I wasn't trying to watch all of it. It was a tear between the Saints game and and the debates, and both were losers. (laughs) I love my Saints, though. Who that nation in full effect. Anyway, so I came across an article that really interested me. And let me see if I can pull it up. I posted it to my Facebook page, so you can go to Lorenzo Neal on Facebook. You can go to my Facebook page, and you will find uh, you'll find the um, you'll find the article there. But a very interesting article that depicts the the end of civil civic religion or uh, something to that nature. I'm trying to pull it up real quick, and um, I can I can bring it to you in essence what it is what the article states is that although um although we have not uh, been a although we are a country rooted in christian judeo judeo-christian values and our country has lived by that even though even the even though a lot of our founders were deist or atheist, uh, agnostic, um, they <laughs> embroidered within our constitutional, within our Declaration of Independence, and and within the very DNA and fabric of the country that continues to this day, the idea of a recognition of God and his laws and things of that nature and we see that played out over and over. But the article's written uh, by um, um it's in the Atlantic magazine. Um can't remember who, who wrote it. Alright, I put it Yanni Yanny Applebaum Applebaum I know I just massacred that. But um the article basically states that for the entirety of that debate, uh, the idea of civil religion and civil religion being identified or defined as the inclusivity of all Americans was, was left out. It was basically not mentioned at all, no mention of God, country, or we the People. At all, explicitly on Donald Trump's side. And uh, listen to what part of the article said. Um, for more than 90 minutes, two presidential candidates traded charges on stage. and um, It was an unnerving glimpse of American politics in the post-Christian age, devoid of the framework that has long bound this nation together. Both rejected those virtues, reframing them instead of vices. The sense of humility, obligation, and responsibility uh, and it was eclipsed it says that it eclipsed the values that long defined America until now. the political debate has generally been framed by a set of shared principles, even if often if they've they've often been applied contrary to contrary ends okay uh, they observed that they read the Bible and they prayed to the same God, okay. Political principles, or something like that. But here's where, here's here's where the meat of the article really gets. Okay, that um, our founders had a peculiar belief and obligation, in their sense, both to the collective and to the individual, uh, to carry out God's will on earth and that those things were a necessary uh to the prosperity of the country and how in, in less than 300 years this country has accomplished so much and is the model of, of, of greatness that so many countries um, and empires have tried to achieve and some will argue failed to achieve. But um, here you had Hillary Clinton who is, uh, Claims to be a Christian Methodist By affiliation and Donald Trump Who claims to be Presbyterian By affiliation um, Both of them Basically Left that component out and Of course Hillary Clinton never talks About her faith She, If she does it's very rare And you know she addressed the AME Church at our, during our general Conference and she touched on it, you know, touched on her faith, and of course, the only reason she did that because she was speaking to a black religious audience, so she knew she had to in- integrate that into her speech, but aside from that, she doesn't discuss her personal faith, and we know about Donald Trump. Donald Trump was calling Second Corinthians, Two Corinthians. So you know <laughs> that just gives you insight into how frequently he at least read his Bible. But and and now he's claimed to be you know he's surrounded by a lot of ministers and particularly black ministers who are uh, supposedly giving him spiritual guidance. But that didn't show up in the debate tonight. When you listen to both of the candidates in their debate. In, in the debate and you listen to their replies, it was mostly self centering. You had Hillary Clinton offering government as the means of being the provider. Government as the means of solving the problems and and, and you know her as her compassionate uh public servant. And then you had the exact opposite. You had Donald Trump who was saying that I will do this. You know, this is what this is what's going wrong. I will fix it. And this is basically how he's been what he's been spewing the entirety of the um uh the primary seasons and uh you know, he's been saying I will fix this. You know, I'm a businessman and he talked about that every most of his responses came from a business perspective. Now, how well he's doing in business has yet to be seen, you know there's there's a but anyway, the idea of this civil religion being dead, the idea that both candidates offered uh, vicarious means of salvation to the country in the form of government and in the form of a narcissistic uh, person who said, "I can fix it, I don't need your help." Just give me an office and I will fix all of it. And these two uh these two um, polarities shows how far off we have gotten from uh the principal values of our founding fathers that are based in Judeo Christian uh, values, morals, ideology, uh not necessarily ground, not necessarily, um, pushed by them, but they drawn from them. Um, anyway, so, it, it's a scary thought. It's a scary, it's a theory, it's a scary thought that, um, these two persons, for the major parties, and there, are, I was telling people, there are other people running for government, for, uh, for president. Yeah. <laughs> There are plenty of other persons running for government but uh, for president, but we all have this belief that there are just two when it comes to the two major parties. But um, whatever you do, just vote. If you are not registered to vote, uh, you have uh, 30 days prior to the election to vote, which means you have up until October the 8th to register to vote. And as you register to vote, if you are registered to vote, please make sure that you know where your polling place is because it shifts in some areas. It shifts and maybe, you know, um, during primary elections, it may be at one particular polling place and during municipal elections, it may be at another polling place, but uh, at federal level and and on elections like uh, the presidential election, it may be at a different place. So you need to go and find out where your polling place is on... This voting day, November 8th You need to find that out You need to make sure That you have your proper identification Some states are requiring ID And they give you the list of uh, The proper identification Make sure you have that But whatever you do You vote Your vote does count And we liken it to the story uh, Likened it to 2000 Between George Bush George W. Bush And Al Gore Where it was contested in Florida And Um it was found, discovered that Bush won by just uh, less than a thousand votes. So so you know, that's my rant. I think I think it's a very critical election. Every election is critical and every everyone we need to vote. So do your best get out to vote. I'm gonna take a quick break and when I come back from this break we will get into today's topic. And I hope you bear with me uh, just for a little while, all right? All right. Be back back after this. Because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. bum da, da, bum 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 bum, bum. I wasn't born to push papers I was born to push myself to go where I'm needed to keep this country safe I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission this is my office I was born ready gocoastguard.com how much money do you need to make each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through incomeathome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people, like Karen, who needs to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday. And with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a 6 Figure income, and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple-A rating. So, how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit IncomeAtHome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development with world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. to Zero today, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, <clears throat> as always, you know, again, I said, uh, pardon how I sound. i uh, been under the weather. I need to go get checked out. I've been stubborn. You know how it is. Uh, just say a prayer for me. <laughs> it's, it's that time of the year. You know how it is. Sign is all the kinds of stuff. Anyway, we thank you for joining. I appreciate you for tuning in. I want to invite you to listen to all the archive shows. You can visit... Um, Zero Network on Facebook at Zero Network on Facebook. Catch up on on kind our of show. You can download uh, on your iTunes and uh, podcasts available. So do that. Appreciate it. Anyway, let's get into our topic for today: uh, calling the church to accountability. Are we too late? Are we too late? And what does church accountability to the community look like? Um, so here's here's how it goes. Here's what here's what happens. Last week, um, um, Faith Greater Faith Ministries, or Great Faith Ministries, where Bishop Wayne T. Jackson is the pastor, uh, he was celebrating his birthday or something like that, and this group of protesters interrupted. As he was getting ready to preach, they interrupted the service, um, and the group called New Era Detroit felt that they had an obligation to interrupt and protest because this church needed to be called into accountability. And what did they mean by called into accountability? Well, their argument is that the pastor of great faith ministries uh, and many like him live lives of luxury while their churches uh, thrive, the community around their churches may not be, may not be thriving. At all And matter of fact They're their parishioners Those people who attend uh, The church with the expectation Of trickle down anointing And trickle down wealth Don't often see that And that form Of exploitation Is what they're saying needs to be Called into account Why is it that these pastors seem to do that And of course now this has been going on For generations this is nothing new and for the most part, it won't end <laughs> but the question is is really when we, when we're talking about calling churches into accountability, you know I've, there, there are plenty of times where people are interrupted services trying to hold uh, a preacher in account for some action or inaction. But what does uh, real accountability what does that really look like when we're talking about church accountability? My question, first one is if a church is offering services to their members, you know financial services, health services, educational services is that not part of community service community action um, or is it in, um if the church leadership is 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 accountability to the community church leadership to pastors or the clergy affiliated with the church stepping out and stepping up and speaking out against social injustice, injustices and in social action is that a part of accountability? What does it mean? What what do we mean by accountability? First of all, churches are tax exempt, so that's a number. That's a big problem. And I, and while I'm a pastor, I understand. It's a wonderful thing. I understand how that came about. And it's a wonderful thing for churches to be tax exempt, to be able to do what we do. But when you're talking about mega churches, uh, and, and not all mega churches, even some of the smaller churches, um, when when you're talking about the fact that a lot of them, uh, you know, for example, if they don't own any property, if the church does not own property, then the church does not pay taxes. So um, our church pays taxes. We had property. Um we have you know we just recently door, tore down but we still have lots that we own um that we pay taxes on and it still benefits the, the, the you know community we're paying property taxes but there are a lot of churches that uh, um that that do that and there are a lot of churches that um I'm I'm reminded when I was in Arkansas and St. Mark Baptist Church uh in Arkansas had a wonderful thing that they did they had you know they uh strip malls that they own and there there are plenty others i know but just this one just comes to mind you know they little strip malls that they own for-profit businesses that uh were part of that and that was a way of community you know community development and empowerment and uh, i'm sure if if i'm mistaken on that if they didn't own that please someone call me in on facts uh i may be mistaken um, and I know there are plenty of other churches. There there's some here in the Greater Jackson metro area that are like that. Um, that have uh sublets, you know. I know um one church has a thrift store. And that thrift store not only benefits the community because they sell quality and I do mean quality, uh items in that thrift store. You know, you're not just gonna go in there and find stuff people don't want. You're gonna find stuff people may have wanted and gave away. And you're gonna find stuff that people want and you know, for prices that they can that people can afford. And, you know, think about the the uh plethora of churches that have food banks. Uh we do breakfast here every Sunday for the community, every Sunday morning. Anyone can walk off the street and enjoy a wonderful breakfast. Yeah, you know. Uh and I think about uh, the churches that offer food pantries, clothing closets. Um, and again, for the most part, most of these were things that people did not want. Uh, these are members giving away things that, you know, where I don't really want. And I'm just going to donate it to the church and people who are in need will come and get it. But But what about these churches who are not doing anything, and I think this is where uh groups like New era Detroit and others uh others like it this is where they come in because they're seeing the fractured dis- disconnect they're seeing the disconnect between a lot of local churches and communities, for example uh there was an article written about Creflo dollar and you if you're not familiar with Creflo Dollars ministry Crevel Dollars ministry is in College Park Georgia and College Park although it is where located close to where the international airport is the community around it uh, surrounding area is basically right at or below the uh the median income for that area and which which says that most of the persons who may attend the church may not even live in their area. They may commute. And uh, I'm, I'm quite sure a lot of people do commute. Um, but for the most part, the church has a minimal, according to some people, minimum impact, a minimal footprint in the community. And so when we're talking about a community. Accountability the church being Accountable to the community Is Having outreach Programs enough Is Having the pastor Be a part of a march Or having the church be a part of the march what, what does it really look like Okay And Let, let me give you A couple of stories Uh because uh, largely due to this, the Black Lives Matter movement has spurred um, this 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 um, tension between the activists and the church. And I recall, you know, I don't want to call, but you know, this is is like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. This has been going out, going on for the longest in during the civil rights movement. I mean, as early as the 1930s and, of course, as late as the 1970s, as more uh, groups were engaging in social action and social justice issues, there were still quite a few, particularly in the black community, churches that were remaining silent. There were a lot of black churches, and there still are a lot of black churches and black members who believed that uh, preachers should not be political should not engage the church is not the church's role to engage in anything political and the preacher should not be talking political stuff in the church you know other than telling folks to vote you know that's about as far as they should do that's as much as the preacher should do remind people to vote don't engage any further and and it's a sad state of affairs because you have that tension between um, these persons who are actively trying to engage the system, in 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 an antagonistic way maybe, and then those um, more passive aggressive Christians in the church who were like look just leave it alone and just let the Lord work it out, and and, and you know then you have the tensions that we see, in, like what happened with New Era Detroit interrupting the service at Great Faith. And there should be a balance. Of course, there should be a balance. There, there should be a balance where and what, where people should know that sometimes you just have to speak up. And there should be a balance where pastors should should say, well, my role is this as a pastor, but I'm going to encourage you to act. Um, I was trying to look on my notes real quick. Um I'll give you an example. Um perspective of social justice and social action as needed in this country is skewed greatly between the races. Uh more white people believe there's no, there's nothing that really needs to be done, that that what we're seeing is a result of some bias. And then, of course, you have the blacks say, no, uh, there's a lot more that needs to be done, and what you're seeing is not what we're seeing. So you're seeing it through two different lenses. And there's an article from um, uh, Michael Brown who, um, who wrote this article, in, in, um I found it on Black Christian News. But he, he, what he's basically saying is that the tragedy that we're seeing – with the shooting death of Keith Scott And the shooting death of um, the man in, in in Tulsa I cannot think of his name right now If you can, I appreciate you helping me out with that And the many other names that we could call In the broadest general terms um, White Americans are seeing it as justifiable Okay Black Americans are There are some who may be seeing it as justifiable But they're still saying It is still wrong Uh, And you have that You know, you have the divisiveness You have, for example Just like Trevon uh, Martin and George Zimmerman You had some white evangelical Christians Defending Zimmerman to the T And following the narrative That this young man uh although he was only a kid uh was a thug same with Michael Brown and although in the latter both cases uh in the latter, in the cases both the latter proved to be somewhat true they were you know they did have some maybe some anger issues and they attacked their the persons uh and, but again you know uh, the, my point is the the perception of social justice and action and what we see with white police officers killing black unarmed persons or just recently um and, and there was another shooting uh officer involved shooting in California uh and there was an officer involved beating but it was a black officer beating another black homeless person and when you when you see these things you know the whites are tending to fall on the side of the, of the of the of the police, and the blacks are tending to fall on the side of the victim, and and people in between. The activists are calling for the church to say, "Look, where do you stand? Are you going to follow Black Lives? Are you going to are you going to proclaim Black Lives Matter or not?" And this is the kind of accountability that they're that they're calling for. And unfortunately, you know. It puts the, it puts uh, church leadership in somewhat of a difficult position. Uh, how do you minister to these with this type of tension going on? And here's my here's my my thing. And I'm again, uh, without being biased, as an African African American male and a pastor, my first concern is always for the persons who have been harmed, who have been um, Done injustice by any means, um, and for the victim, my heart is always going to go out towards the victim first. As facts come out differently, then you know that that can that can abridge what I um, what I may initially believe. Now, I probably didn't even use that word right. <laughs> But um, it's a delicate balance because when we're talking, particularly accountability in the in this in the um, the argument or in the world of the, the argument, of Black Lives Matter or the Black Lives Matter movement, for the church to be accountable, it, it is for us to say in reality that there is a lot going on. That is negatively affecting people of color, black men in particular, and and a disproportionate uh, is a in a very high uh, manner, uh, disproportionate manner. That most of the injustice that we're seeing right now just happens to be. Uh, targeting black men. Most of the incidents of social unrest that we're seeing just happen to be occurring in urban communities where the population is largely black or minority, black or Hispanic, high unemployment, um, low educational opportunities, and low political engagement. And when you see that as a pastor, then you see where this accountability is, where they're calling for. They're calling for us as church leadership to address this, not just from a spiritual perspective, But in an actualized manner. And how do we do it? How do we address it? Not just from a spiritual perspective. But from an actualized manner. We have to be proactive. We don't want to be reactive. Because we saw in Charlotte reaction. We saw in Baltimore reaction. We saw in Ferguson reaction. We see reaction. And we see the angst. That. It explodes upon the communities communities, the rioting and, uh, and things, and we see the community left behind in disarray. How do we be proactive is the question. What does a proactive church being ac- accountable to the community look like? One, yes, it does involve having the programs, having the outreach that can help people. And a lot of churches doing that. Again, a lot of churches are offering the food pantry. A lot of churches are offering the clothes closet. A lot of churches are offering after-school programs for children. And that's wonderful. And you have a lot of those churches, a lot of churches um, also now beginning to fully address the racial issue systemically. The systemic racial issue. This is a story that comes out of Charlotte. Um and you can find this in um where is it? Um Christian Post. You can find that. It's a story of an out al- a predominantly African American church that is merging with a predominantly white church. And it's amazing. Because this was the, the the merger had been in the works for some time, and the announcement was going to be made right before uh, during the time that um, the young man was shot in Oak in in Charlotte last week, and but they're still carrying out the merger. Uh, it's, they're still carrying out, and both pastors have said that this is a wonderful opportunity to show how the church can be proactive and engaging racial reconciliation. And speaking of that, if you're in the Jackson Metro area tomorrow, I want to invite you to come out to Mission Mississippi's Racial Reconciliation um, Summit. They do it every year. Um, It's hosted by Mission Mississippi and uh, under the wonderful leadership of Nettie Winters, and uh, there'll be a panel, um, there'll be discussions, there'll be workshop, as well as a worship service. And you're wonderful. Um, invite you to come down. It'll be happening tomorrow, November, uh tomorrow, <laughs> September the 29th, uh, all day, from 9 in the morning to 3:30 that afternoon at the Jackson. Uh, Convention Complex, and if you are interested in attending, you simply can do so by going to Mission, Mississippi, and, oh boy, I had it just that quick. Uh, Mission, Mississippi, uh, and you can purchase a ticket. Tickets are $150 for an individual, and they go up if you want to get tables. I'm not sure how many of those are available right now, but, um, to be able to do that, and MissionMississippi.org is the website to go and, and get more information about that. Um, I'm proud to be a, a member of Mission Mississippi and proud to be able to attend the workshop tomorrow, <laughs> the Racial Reconciliation Summit. And you, uh, that's just a plug for that. Nettie Winters and his staff are putting it together, and we're looking forward to doing a having a wonderful time in the Lord and fellowship tomorrow. So that's my plug for that. Um, anyway, be proactive. This merger shows that uh, churches can be proactive and and do what needs to be done to show. That the races can worship together And we know we can And you've heard the adage That uh, Sunday Between the hours of 10 and 12 Is the most segregated hour Of the day Um, So anyway Boy I'm running out of time quick Um, What was I doing? What was I saying? Lost my train of thought. That but they were showing. They were showing that this this is a way for um, reconciliation, and churches can be proactive by doing so. One of the things that we are, we we here at New Bethel are doing. We we we're working with um, this predominantly white Methodist church not far from ours, just a few blocks, and we fellowship on several occasions. They Sponsored one of the biggest festivals here in the city, and one of the things that they have done—they, uh, as the community changed, the demographics of the community shifted from um, integrated community to a predominantly black community to a um, and and such. Instead of moving out of the, the community, they stayed in the community. They stayed. And they've been impacting, and they've been contributing to this community for uh, a number of years. Uh, and we fellowship with them, and we share to we share in um, a service every now and then. And we're going to do it again next year. The Lord wills. Being proactive instead of reactive. What does it look like? It takes leadership. We we have to stop being passive aggressive. We have to we have to move beyond the church walls and be intentional in our efforts to empower our community. What does it intentional look like? It means that we have say we have a specific mission statement that is not self-serving. You know the mission statement of the church should not be self serving. The vision statement of the church should not be self serving. It is something that's intentional, that is in uh that is designed to empower the local community. And and I appreciate it. I have a friend, uh one in particular, uh Pastor Matt McGue of one church of Jackson, and he's a church planner and he has planted intentionally intentional Intentionally multi-ethnic churches, and it's a wonderful thing. I get to visit this church, and it's amazing to see how black and white worship together. And, and, and there are a lot of churches that do that. I also, you know, historically there are a lot of been there have been predominantly white churches that have had black members under them. There have been uh, predominantly black churches with white leadership, and, uh, but it's. It's hard to find it the other way around. There was one pastor in the Ukraine who had that. Uh, who um, his church was predominantly white, and he was black. But you know, that's so rare. Anyway, I just about to run out of time, and and I'm I'm rambling and rumbling and not getting clear clear thoughts. But I want you as a as a as I leave out. I want you all to understand that. What we are called to be is a church that is one in everything. We are one body, many members. And the diversity of the membership is what kept the church together all these centuries. And it's our obligation, it's our obligation as the church to say to those in whose communities we reside, that we are willing to be accountable to them for our work inside and outside of the church. That we are willing to provide the leadership necessary that will be liberating and empowering. If we need better schools, if our schools are failing, that we would take leadership in getting teachers educated getting teachers trained, getting them motivated to do what they need to do. And if it's public and they're failing, then we'll collaborate and say we'll start our own. We should do that. We can get involved in po- public policy. We don't have to get involved in politics, but we can influence public policy. When we know there are health issues, health issues like what happened in Flint, with the water we can see if we know we have people in our church that are trained in this area, we should be say, look, we want you to help us investigate, help us to hold this this particular board accountable, this this agency accountable. When we give we know we are tax exempt, we know we're charitable agencies and we should be saying to ourselves, Okay, we want you to tithe But we're going to take the tithe that you give us and we know we need it to to operate, but we're going to take this tithe and we're going to be accountable to this community by doing and investing in such and divesting out of such. These are the ways that we can really be accountable. This is the way that uh, that people will see that, okay, this church is concerned about us and our livelihood and our manner of being and existing. And when we do that, when they see that, I guarantee they'll come. They'll come, and they'll come with excitement. And they may not have a lot of money, but they'll be excited about the work that you do. And that's what part of our vision statement at New Bethel. We want people to be excited about the work of New Bethel. Not the program, not the annual days, but the work that we do. If they see the work that we do, people will come. And not only will people come, but you'll have people sharing and saying, look, this is why I'm here. This is what they do. This is what they. This is why I, I think you should be here, too. So it's a ways to be doing it. I, I didn't cover all I wanted to do, but I ran out of time. And my nose is here. <laughs> I'm finding it harder and harder to talk, so I need to shut up. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, want you to tune in every week when we can, when you can. And... Uh, Again, we invite you to uh, listen to archived shows. You're available to download them on iTunes, um, um, podcasts, all of that, and visit Zero Network. Join, listen, subscribe, follow, like, all that stuff, and let us know what you think. If you have show topics or persons you think you could be on the show, we'd love to hear it. But, hey, we're always inviting you to join us and be empowered with us as we try to empower everyone. This, uh, our request, and I got to get out of here because I'm rambling. God bless you, keep you, this is Pastor Wendell Neal. I'm out.